number of you, when you've been asking me about the uh, bicycle trip, the question is, is what was the best part? What was the highlight of the trip? And the answer, that's easy. Uh, that is the simplicity. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's sort of a simple life when you pedal your bike all day and ride into camp and eat and go to bed and get up and pedal your bike all day, and, and that's pretty much what you do for two months. Not many choices to be made, not much uh, uh, that complicates your life. And every time, uh, this is the second time I've done this, but last time and this time, through the trip I think, you know, simple life is so enjoyable, and when I get home, I am going to simplify my life. It gets so complicated and so full and so much stuff and so many things, and, and I, I just have to do that. Do you know the, the reason is that when your life gets complicated, it is real hard to keep God first place in your life. And in fact, all the important things tend to drop. Priority becomes really tough. That is, what's first, what's middle, what's last. When you have a lot of stuff in your life, it gets jumbled up, and pretty soon you're doing all the wrong things. Not that they're wrong, but they're not first, and first gets moved down. And you don't do that for very long, and your life gets all messed up. When your life is simple, minimum choice, there's not a lot of stuff filling it up. It's easy to keep first things first, last things last. And uh, we, we want to do that without going on a bicycle trip. Uh, that's great, but we can't do that most of the time. Keep first things first. I'm going to start a series on First Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians this morning. It's just an introduction. I'm not even going to read a verse from the two books. But the theme of those two books is uh, simple life. Not simple in that, un, uh, you know, dumbed down, but simple in the sense of first is first, last is last, and the priorities are established and you don't mess that up. If you can keep first things first, last things last, everything in sequential order in the sense of value and stay with that in your life, you will have an incredibly blessed life. And that's what Paul teaches to the believers at the church of Thessalonica. And so let's just go through some basics this morning as an introduction to that. Number one is the most basic. God is real. He's very real. Now, you know, in our culture, in our day, and in age, and in the news, we tend to think that the number of atheists that exist have grown substantially. The fact is they haven't. It's just that they make a lot of noise. And because they make so much noise and get so much press, it seems like, wow, they're everywhere. They're not really. The number of people, if you were to ask them on the street, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? 90% plus will say, yes, I do. One of the things that is true, though, we've never lived in an age where that belief made less difference in people's lives than today. And that isn't because they don't believe in God. It's because God's not first. He's not even second. He's down the list of ways, but pressed. Do you believe in God? Yeah, 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 I do. We want to do way more than believe in God. We want Him to be first place in our life. We want to walk with Him and know Him, him intimately. Psalms 46.10, cease striving. That doesn't mean don't do stuff. That doesn't mean not work hard. It simply means uh, quit filling your life up with so much stuff. And know that I am God. I will be exalted. That means I will be first place. I will be first place. God said, I'm a jealous God. I'll have no other gods before me. I'll have nothing before me. 
Uh, I demand, I expect to be honored and exalted to be first in your life. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalms 83, 18, that they may know that you alone, you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high. You are the most high over all the earth. Number two, God created everything. Now, that's an area that the devil has really worked over in our culture, and the reason is because he knows this is critically important to our walk and relationship with him is the fact that he created everything, everything all around us. It was about halfway through the trip. In fact, it was farther than that. I think we were almost in Florida. And everybody had gone to bed, and I sat up and was reading in my iPad. And it's dark. And, you know, if you're reading that screen iPad, your eyes don't see in the dark very well. But I got to a point where I flipped it closed, and I just sat there and prayed a little bit and thought, and my eyes got used to the dark. And I looked up, and I thought, what is that? There were fireflies everywhere. I mean, like thousands of them. I have seen them before, but it was years and years and years ago. And when I looked at it, I thought, it was just like strange. And I was just sort of mesmerized by this everywhere, all over. These little blinking lights, little bugs flying. I got up and I walked out away from, the fire was going away from the fire, and they were just like Christmas tree lights all over the trees. And I I was just fascinated with these little fireflies. I sat back down and flipped my iPad open and, and Googled fireflies. I said, well, how do they do this? They got some headlamp on there? What's the deal? And so I, I read all about them. And then I flipped it closed again just to watch them and look at them. And while I did that, I looked up and, wow, thousands and thousands of stars. And I, I just sort of got overwhelmed for a minute there with the fireflies and the stars. And I thought, how can anybody believe that this just happened by chance? I mean, that is way more faith than I'll ever have. God created everything without exception. Uh, he is creative. The very first, first verse in the Bible sort of sets the tone, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. The worlds, everything, were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Hebrews 1-2, in these last days God has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom, through whom also He made the world. Psalms 33-6, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made by the breath of His mouth all their host. So God has created everything. And even more cool than that, number three, God created me and you. Now, this is not sort of a system, a program where God's not in control or not in touch, doesn't know what's going on. He personally crafted me. Uh, He created me as an act of His will. Uh, He knows me. The very hairs of my head are numbered. Everything about me is intimately acquainted with. I don't know if you noticed when coming in that nice pickup out there, the red one, the 49 Ford pickup. That's mine. I bought that for... Um, $49.49. It's a 49. The guy was kind of strange that way. It was just a mess when I bought it, all rusty. I tore it all apart. Every nut and bolt on the whole thing was just a pile of pieces and ground it all down, put it together, bought some stuff, rewired it, rebuilt the engine. I mean, I built that pickup. It's my pickup. You can say something bad about my wife, 
and I'll forgive you. We'll work that out. You say something bad about my pickup, I don't know if that's going to be able to be resolved. So, you know, when you build something, you create it, it's important to you. God that built me, created me, made me um, as an act of his will with a level of intimacy that we can't understand you as well. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Psalm 100, verse 3, No, no, understand this, that the Lord, God, Lord himself is God. He made us. He made us. We didn't make ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created, I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made, whom I have formed. It's like a painting. It's like a creation. God made me, created me. Why? Because he wanted to live with me. He wanted a fellowship with me forever. That's number four in your notes. Um, he wanted to love me. He wanted me to love him. Um, he created us to be close, to know, to fellowship forever and ever and ever. It wasn't just sort of like uh, a firefly. We are different. We're his creation, his people for a purpose, for a reason. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him. We will come to him and make our abode with him. John 14, 2 through 3, I memorized these verses on the bicycle trip and thought about them often. I don't know if there's verses that have just sort of made me feel a sense of worth or value as much as these have. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, that you can be with me forever. Uh, he's building my house now. John seventeen twenty four. Father, I desire, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. This is what I want, Jesus said to the Father, that those whom you've given me be with me, be with me forever. Number five, in order to be in relationship with God, we must seek him. In your notes, the two words, we must, you could circle those. I don't know uh, if you've noticed this, I'm sure you have, that uh, there's some really good marriages and uh, there's some really, really bad marriages. And so uh, there's a big gap between those. Last, uh, two years ago, when I went on the bicycle trip to Portland, Maine, we had everything on our bikes, all the camping gear, all the food. And so we would get to the campground and ride in, and I would park the bike and take the bags off and take the tent out and take the sleeping pad out and take the sleeping bag out, take the little camp stove out. I would put the tent up blow up the air mattress, put the sleeping bag in there, cook the, the, the dinner, which was mostly boiled water and, and uh, freeze-dried stuff, and uh, go to bed. And by then it was 10 o'clock, and I would get up at 5 and do the same thing in reverse. It was a long day. This year, Patty went, 
And uh, they would leave camp about 10 and get to the next camp about 1 or 2 in the afternoon. And when I pedaled my bicycle into camp, the tent was up. The pad was blown up, the sleeping bag was laid out, the lawn chair was set out, there was a Diet Pepsi sitting in the little holder there, the stove was up, dinner was cooked, steak, potatoes, beans, dessert. And then the next morning, I didn't do anything, I just got on my bike and headed down the road, and she got up and took the tent down and rolled up the sleeping bag and squeezed up the pad and put the stove away after she'd cooked me coffee and made me eggs and bacon for breakfast. Now that's a good woman. I'm keeping her. Somebody said one time to me, why do you have such a good marriage? I said, my wife trained me well. Um, there's bad marriages too. How do you, what's the difference? One takes work, the other one doesn't have much invested. If you're going to have a relationship with God, it's like a relationship with a person that takes some work. You can't ignore a person and expect to have a relationship. You can't ignore God, put him second, third, fourth, fifth place in your life and expect that you're going to have any kind of relationship with him that matters. He must be first place in your life and you must work at that relationship diligently. Hebrews 11:6. without faith is impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. First Chronicles 28, 9. As for you, my son Solomon, know, that the, uh, know the God of your father. Know him, know him. That is, have a relationship with him. Serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts, understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. If you forsake him, now you can do that simply by ignoring him, simply by forgetting him, simply by being busy with all the stuff. If you forsake him, he will reject you. Psalm 105, verse 3, Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord his strength. Seek his face continually. Seek his face continually. Number six, God took the initiative, made finding him very possible. So it's not like he's hiding. It's not like it's a hard thing to do. Uh, He did everything that's needed in order for us to have a relationship with him that is real. Everything. And that we just have to make the choice to seek him and to draw near to him and make him first place in our life. Romans 1 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. That which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, His divine nature had been clearly seen, clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. That is, they didn't keep him first place in their life. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile, vain, distracted, and... um, They drifted away from him. Psalms 19, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. God is everywhere. All of his creation is a megaphone of who he is, his attributes, his character, if we pay attention. Acts 17, Paul's in Athens, a pagan city full of idols, all kinds of uh, statues that they're worshiping everywhere. And 
and he says, For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, that the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things, he made, and he made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek him, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He is not far. He is close. He is uh, easily found. Number seven, many reject God. Many simply say, "Eh, I don't need God. I don't want God. I'm not going to live for God. I'm not going to obey God. In fact, probably a better word is most. Job 21, 14, they say to God, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. Uh, We don't want you running our life, bossing us around, telling us what's right and wrong. Numbers 14, 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me despite all the things I've done? Psalms 10, for the wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Psalms 14, when the fool, the fool is said in his heart, there is no God. Number eight, people reject God because they want to decide for themselves what is right and wrong. See, this isn't an intellectual thing. Uh, it's an ego thing. It's a pride thing. You ever have a conversation with somebody and they say, you know, I think that this is right. I think that this is okay. I think this is my opinion. We sort of like that. Deuteronomy 12.8, you shall not do all, do it all what we are doing here today. Every man doing what is right in his own eyes. That's the way we are as people. Now, I, I've never told God to go away. I've never said to God, I don't want you. I don't believe in you. I'm not going to follow you. I've never done that. I've never really rejected him. And I doubt whether many of you have either. But uh, number nine is where most of us fall. Many of us just fall away from God through neglect. Neglect. You, you know what that is? That's this complicated life. You've got so many things to do and so many choices to make and so much activity in your life that you don't even realize it, but pretty soon... God has gone from first place down to whatever place, and it just happens. It just happens. And you drift away, you fall away, you neglect. It's just like any relationship. You ignore it, and it won't work, and you neglect God, and you will not have a walk with Him, a relationship with Him that has any meaning whatsoever. Psalms 106, verse 21, they forgot God. They forgot Him. Psalms 106.11, they quickly, quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Deuteronomy 32.18, you neglected the rock who begot you. You forgot the God who gave you birth, the God who created you, the God who saved you. Hebrews 3.12, take care. That means this is an easy thing to have happen. Take care, my brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away, that drifts away from the living God. 
2 Peter 3.17, Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the air of unprincipled men and fall from your steadfastness, that is, your relationship with God. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, fall away from the faith, drift away from God. Matthew 7.13, Enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction. Many... There's a lot of people who go through that easy, comfortable gate that is full of distractions. The gate is small, the way is narrow. You might call that the simple life that leads to life. Few, there are very few, actually find that way. Number 10, we seek God and grow in our relationship with Him by practicing the spiritual disciplines. So maybe that little bit of statement I made this morning about good marriage, bad marriage is sort of bothered you, and at some point this week you connect with me and you say, hey, D, you know, I'd love to have a good marriage. Mine isn't so good. And I, my response to you would be, okay, I can help you. In fact, if you do what I say, I, I can almost guarantee that you'll have a great marriage. So what is it you want me to do? Well, go on a date with your wife every week. Uh, Think of some good questions you can ask to demonstrate your concern about who she is and where she's at and what her needs are. I mean, just uh, have conversation that's meaningful, intimate, because of the questions you ask. Don't ever get irritated or angry at her, not even a little bit. Don't nag, scold. Don't do that. Pray with her two, three times a week. And so, what are we talking about here? We're talking about disciplines. Don't get angry, not even a little bit. I don't know if I can do that. Sure you can going to take some work, some effort, but you can do that. You can pray two or three times a week. You, you can do that stuff. It's not easy. That's why it's called a discipline. How do you have a relationship with God? There's some basic disciplines. Deuteronomy 4.9, only, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget. You do not forget the things which your eyes have seen. They do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. Deuteronomy 4.23, watch yourselves that you do not forget. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. 1 Timothy 4.7, on the other hand, discipline yourself. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It takes a little bit of work to have a good marriage. It takes a lot of work to have a godly, close, intimate walk with God. Uh, You have to choose every day what's first and what's last in your life. Number 11, the foundational spiritual discipline is reading, studying, memorizing the Bible. It's not the only one, but it's the foundation. Now, that's simple. That's basic. So I regularly ask that question to you. Many of you, when you talk to me about what's going on in your life, you say, hey, by the way, how's your Bible reading? I was afraid you were going to ask that. Not so good? What's the problem? I'm just so busy. Fifteen minutes of prayer a day, that makes a huge difference in your relationship with God. Are you doing that one? Fifteen minutes a day. I just can't seem to make that happen. Why? See, it's all a priority thing. It's all a value thing. It's all a choice issue of whether you're going to discipline yourself uh, to make God first or whether you're going to let the world control your life. Uh, it's an everyday dis- discipline that you make. You spend time with God. You spend time talking to Him, Him talking to you. Basic discipline 
of reading the Bible. It's not like it's hours and hours and hours a day. You can, you can do well with 15 minutes of Bible reading a day, 15 minutes of prayer a day. You just choose. You discipline yourself. You do whatever it takes every day. You make it happen. Hebrews 2.1, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, speaking of the Bible, so that we do not drift away from it. Must, we must. Psalms 119.11, your word I've treasured in my heart. That means you've memorized it, you've thought about it, you've pondered it, that I may not sin against you. Jeremiah 2.31, O generation, heed the word of the Lord. Heed the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel, a land of thick darkness? Why do my people say we're free to roam? We can do whatever we want. <clears throat> Hebrews 4.12, the word of God, living. That means that when we read it, God works, the spirit of God works in us through the word and in our heart. It comes alive, the Bible does, when we read it. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You read the Bible every day as a discipline of life, and God will speak to your heart. It's living and active. That's what he does. Number 12, God chose that the teaching and preaching of the Bible would be a major source of growth for each one of us. <clears throat> I have an iPhone, and... Uh, on the bicycle trip, I would uh, download sermons. I mean, there's thousands of sermons available, and then I had this Bluetooth thing and put a little, my, bike, my phone in this little pa- thing in my bike and push the start button, and while I'm pedaling, I could listen uh, to dozens of sermons. Help the time go, plus I was learning uh, information as I listened to the Word of God preached. And many of you do that as well. But you know, I think, that there's a difference between what I would listen to on my phone of somebody that preached far away or near wherever that I don't know and the preaching that happens here as part of the body of Christ. When we gather together as the church, God makes this statement, when you gather together in my name, there I am. There I am in a special way. And so when I preach, when Mike preaches, uh, God works. He does. That's his will. I don't like the idea, but that was what he said. Matthew 4.23, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee teaching, teaching in their synagogues. Mark 2.13, he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him. He was teaching them. Matthew 3.1, now in those days John the Baptist came preaching Mark 3.14, he appointed 12 that they would be, be with him and that he could send them out to preach. Acts 10.40, God raised him up on the third day, speaking of Jesus, and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people. Acts 2.42, they were continually, the church, that is, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Acts 15.35, Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching. Colossians 1.28, Paul says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. Um, you know, I really liked milking cows. I wanted to be a dairy farmer all my life. And uh, God 
pulled me off the farm and made me a preacher. I don't uh, like the responsibility. I don't like what the Word says that I am supposed to do, but God said it, and so I'm working at it. And I pray every day, every single day, I say, Jesus, I would like to preach better than you did. I'd like to preach better than you did. Uh, some of you thinking, whoa, maybe you get struck by lightning for saying that. No, let me read to you. Matthew 7, 28. Jesus had finished these words. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his teaching. Luke 24, 32, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he, Jesus, was speaking to us while he was explaining the scriptures? And then this verse, John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, and I do, the works that I do, he will do also greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Now, I don't care about walking on the water. I really don't want to do that. I don't want to calm any storms. I don't want to stop any rain things happen. I don't want to uh, feed anybody a bunch of bread. But I really, really would love to preach at least as good as Jesus and maybe better. So I pray that every day. I ask him, would you do that? Lord, not for me, but for our church would you just each week anoint me? Now, I have a part in that, 1 Timothy 4, 16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere, that means work hard in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure, guarantee salvation, both for those who hear you and for yourself. That word salvation means saved from the power of sin, that as you grow, you become more and more like Jesus through the power of the preached word. 2 Timothy 1, 11. I was appointed a preacher. I was and an apostle and a teacher. So, you know what people do today? They, they take church as an option. People make fun of preaching. And we get busy, and there's so much stuff to do that, you know, it's tough to show up to church on Sunday on a regular basis. You don't have to be here every week. But if you understand God is God, He is almighty, He expects to be honored, to be first place, and there's certain ways He, God, has divinely, sovereignly chosen as a way that we would enhance and grow in our walk and relationship with Him. The Word of God is living and active. Prayer is a tool that we talk to Him and He works in our life. And the church, the body, the bride of Jesus, Jesus gave His life for the church. We live with Him for eternity. When we gather, He's here. And when the Word is preached, when we gather, He enters into that. It becomes a supernatural event in your life. I have a part to play in diligence. You have a part to play in paying attention. Uh, so, every day, it's a choice. Is he first? Ask yourself the question uh, on the basis of the priorities of your life, the reading of his word, the time you spend in prayer, your involvement, your attendance at church, just simple, basic things. But when your life gets full, you begin to set all those things aside. They don't become as important, and you will fall away from God. I mean, it isn't that you reject him, but you won't sense his presence, you won't have his power, you won't have his joy. There'll be so many things missing in your life. Stay close to God, make him first, and he will bless you powerfully. He'll use you. He'll do great things through your life, but you choose. Um, make him first every day. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for creating each of us an act of your will. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending Jesus. We're going to live in heaven with you forever. In the meantime, we truly want to walk, know you, serve you well. Help us.
to choose that every day.